Welcome to On The Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsmakers taking this metropolis to the next level. A place where you can learn about what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I'll be your host. On episode 8 of On The Grid, we talk to entrepreneur Jenny Poon and how she's been leading the charge in co-working spaces in the Valley. Now, co-working spaces, it might not be the most sexiest of subjects, but facilities like them have played a big part in helping struggling businesses make it through the Great Recession. And this included Jenny. And now her Phoenix-based co-working space, Cahoots, is expanding to a new Midtown Phoenix office with the goal of gaining 1,000 new entrepreneur members. The 14,000-square-foot building at Indianola Avenue, which is three times the size of the previous location, will open September 30th. And she's got big plans. Cahoots is looking to provide at least 100 new jobs, host 400 community events, and 52 lunch and learns a year, and be a place for 1,000 kids to learn how to code. Jenny, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think a lot of people might not know what a co-working space is and you know that you're the expert on that so tell people a little about what what that is yeah so a co-working space is a collaborative workspace essentially it's a space for entrepreneurs or startups or small businesses to um, collaborate with each other meet new people bounce ideas off of each other and honestly just help each other grow their businesses Um, as an entrepreneur it's often really isolating to be working by yourself um, because we're so used to working for someone else. We're so used to working with other people. Um, When you go off on your own, you often just hit hurdles that you don't know how to solve by yourself. And so what coworking gives you is this opportunity to connect with other people, be um, open about some of the challenges that you have, and and honestly overcome those challenges with the help of other people and, uh, and just not feel alone in this whole process of building a business. I mean, it's not a terribly new thing, but, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see more of them. So why do yeah. you think that that's starting to take off more now? Uh, I think there's a whole wave of uh, change in the way people do business. Um, we are definitely seeing a lot more people shift to being remote workers, um, entrepreneurs in general. Uh, corporations are shifting their workforce into being more remote workers because it's just incredibly expensive for them to house an employee. When we did studies on this and um, and tried to figure out, you know, what is the overall cost for a a company to house an employee, it came out to about five hundred dollars per person. Um, that's you know, electricity, furniture, um, just a f- an actual workspace for them and equipment. Whereas uh, uh, you'll see the trend of a lot of corporations starting to send their employees home to work, they get a lot more done. They're a lot more. They're finding that they're a lot more productive because people just work in all different kinds of ways. And so when they're working remotely, they get to pick how they work. Right? They can work from a standing desk. They can work from a coffee shop. Um, sure, there are other kinds of distractions, um, but it it kind of checks the box of helping your employee be a happier worker. And if you're like a lone lone wolf, so to speak, lone yeah. entrepreneur, that's going to save you a lot more money anywhere. Anyway, like maybe if you have a couple employees, yeah. it's probably easier 
or should I say at least less expensive than doing something at a co-working space as opposed to renting out your own space probably, right? Exactly, and it's very low risk. So what we do is we carry the risk burden like for a, a lease lot of these. In terms yeah. of lease, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay. So lease and when you when you go into a typical brick and mortar shop or you rent your own office space, it's usually a three to five year lease. You then have to sign a long-term agreement with internet, trash, electricity, water, all of those things become long-term agreements tied to your lease. So when you break any of those, um, you're hit with, you know, paying either the balance of whatever you agreed on or, um, or a huge legal right. nightmare. Um, but with a co-working space, you can scale up and scale down at any point without any issues. And that's what we're here for. We're here to help you scale, right? We want you to go from one person to four people to 10 people to then out of our space. Um, what, we also don't mind is if you're 10 people and you have to scale down to one, right? Like that's a part of business in general. Um, so it's expected that companies will go up some months and then go down. Um, and that's, that's so why So you do it on here. a month to month basis here, week to week, like? Yeah, week we do month to month. We also do, we obviously incentivize staying longer, but the longest you can stay a, or do an agreement for is one year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that's short term really. So, you are Cahoots. You founded Cahoots, which is a co-working space, mm-hmm. um, and you just expanded. Or you're yeah. about to. You're going to have your grand opens opening September 30th, which is very exciting. And so, it's going to triple size, right? Yep. So this is three times the size of what we were in before. So compare those two. Yeah. What did you have there, and what do you have now? Um, over there we had a lot of open space, about 30 desks, um, and then two offices. Here we fill a new niche that we've been looking, we've been realizing over the past six years, which is this group of people who have grown from four or more employees or team members is what we're calling them. So we have essentially different kinds of team spaces. So there's open team spaces, which is essentially three walls and and a desk if you're just talking specifically space. And then we have enclosed spaces, which is, um, you know, a typical what you think of an office, but it's all very small footprint and um, all still very open. So it's glass walls everywhere um, so that people are still engaged in the open community and they're still encouraged to come out of their office. Uh, We've built the space to really promote collaboration. So you'll notice that when you walk through and you tour through, our conference rooms are on all corners of our space. So so you'd have to jump from one end to the other. You basically, you know, cycle through the space three or four times a day. Um, And in those kinds of um, random routes that you take, you run into random people. And then you never know what that will lead to. When this place is full, when mm-hmm. and we are, by the way, we're actually recording in the new space. Yeah. We're recording the podcast right here in the new space. Um, in our podcast room. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> if you have a podcast, there is space here available for you. Or if you want to do any kind of sound recording. Um, you mentioned collaboration and people coming out of the office and interacting and that sort of thing. What's an example of, of two different teams collaborating together unbeknownstly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So two years ago, we had a company start with us. He's just a one-man show, um, Sahil. He started a company called Echoes Web. Uh, they do web and marketing. Um, he's since grown to about six employees. Around the same time, another company started called Code Technology. They, do, they have a platform um, for tracking um, patient response rates. Um, and so they've 
you know, at the same time, Co Technology was just scaling. It was one woman, amazing woman, scaling. She was a nurse. She she saw a need for this platform. Um, scaled to now, she's also six employees here, but also has, I think, eight other offices throughout the nation. She was scaling her company, needed a website, was um, was kind of talking to a few people in the space about how do we grow this? How do we how do we do this? Right. Like sh this is a totally new area. And he just happened to be there, an amazing developer. Um, now they work together on those pieces. Um, we also have a um, another company here that does online marketing and um, a lot of like SEO and um, Facebook ads and those kinds of things. And she also was was sh uh, talking about her surface services, and they just happened to be sitting next to each other. And so Code Technology then brought on. Um, Vici Media, which is one of our uh, online marketing companies, and so now there's like three way three way collaboration. Um, and then another another example is there's um, a lot of people that specialize in a specific industry, right? So they're designers or they're developers or they're writers, and those industries overlap a lot. So we'll see a lot of companies come in and they're like, okay, well I have a client and I'm only doing the branding piece of it, but they really need all of these other services, mm -hmm. and they'll kind of pitch it out to our entire community and start to bring in those other people. And the great thing is. You can't hide from that partner, right? Um, if if you're not doing great work, they know where to find you because they're right here sitting next to you. And that's that's a good thing and obviously a bad thing, but it, it self-regulates our community. It mm. means that, you know, there's automatically this level of proficiency and excellence required in working here because, one, they're committing, they're committing to their business. They're paying a monthly fee to be here. And then... They're working in an open space where everyone can kind of see the things that you're working on. So as a designer, I, my background is in design. I have a screen up. Anyone can walk past and see what I'm working on. And that happens actually a lot. People will walk past and they'll say, oh, I really like that. Or I'll grab some other people and be like, what do you think about this new concept that Immediate I'm feedback. designing? Yeah. Wow. So same thing goes for development. You know, we have a lot of young developers here and then a lot of experienced developers. And when they run into hurdles, they just post on our Slack group and our Facebook group. So while we start as a physical space, we have a large community of online. 250 members um, that communicate online or work in our space. We have our lunch and learns and a lot of happy hours. So it's just this little little community that's growing quite strong. How have you seen it? When did you open Coots? In 2010. Okay. How has growth been in client? Yeah, so so our growth for Cahoots, we've grown. When we started, it was just me, mm -hmm. and then there was another member, Matt Clower, and then it grew to six within the first six months, and then to twelve within the first twelve months, and then kind of one every single month approximately until we hit about two or three years, and then it kind of it kind of blew up, and so. In, in our Washington space, we left Washington at about 150 members, and now we're about 250, so um, it's growing exponentially. You said that you were, you started in design. Mm -hmm. How did you go from design to cahoots? Yep. My background is in graphic design, and I was the art director for the Arizona Republic for a few years, and then decided to go off on my own. And when I left, I mean, I've always worked in a team environment. So when I left, I was working from home by myself. My husband was also 
a freelancer. Were you doing design, I contracted design, freelance design at the time? Uh, no, I left and I started my company, Eco Studio, okay. which is which is a graphic design agency. It's a small boutique agency. Okay. Um, and we had a, we just had a slew of clients because while I was working at the Arizona Republic, I was doing a lot of freelance work. So when I left and announced that I was leaving, you know, the work just came in and so I was you very just lucky. So much work that you had to kind of farm it out. Is that kind of what you I got? So much doing? work that I had to bring on. I was beginning okay. to look for staff. Gotcha. Um, and I brought in two interns. And is that where you started with at Cahoots too? Um, or is that something different? Yeah, that's where I started with Cahoots. Well, I was working from home. I brought in interns, and that became really awkward over time because they were just coming to my house to work. And then I met a lot of other people that were honestly in the same boat. Phoenix at that time was it was 2009. We were we were just in the middle of the recession, um, and I was I went out and I was looking for space to grow my company, knowing that. You know, this is still a very risky time. Seeing a lot of companies fail during the recession because they were tied to these huge leases, because of the whole market crash, because people weren't spending money. Um, I knew it would be really risky to go in and sign a long-term lease anywhere. And so the idea of just simply shared spaces came up. And so I looked for a bunch of other people who were in the same boat, right? They were one-person shops, solopreneurs, beginning to scale, looking to hire more people, and just pitch them the idea of, hey, wouldn't it be really great if we could work alongside each other but not really be each other's bosses, right? We could collaborate on different things but not really um, have that office bureaucracy that often comes with working in a corporate structure. And so the, you know, the one or two people that I talked to, Matt Clower, jumped on board, um, was super excited about it, and little did I know that this was actually a huge industry out there already in other states, just it never came to Phoenix. Um, there was Gangplank in Chandler, um, and so I visited, Matt told me about Chandler, or Gangplank, and I visited Gangplank, and I wanted to bring something like that to Phoenix. Um, at that time, they weren't really looking at expanding. Um, and Gangplank was another uh, co-working yeah, space, right? Yeah, a co-working space with a right. very different model. Um, they're a free model in Chandler, um, funded by the city of Chandler. Okay. So we have a few of those in Phoenix, too. So we That's have the Hive. You, what kind of separates you from the rest of the co-working spaces, would you say? Um, actually, typical co-working spaces do charge a membership fee. There's the, there's the model that first came um, to Arizona, which was Gangplank's model, which is the free model. Um, basically, Derek Neighbors had a bunch of extra space, and I can't speak for him, <laughs> but my understanding is that he had a bunch of extra space, and he just wanted to build a community, so he opened up this extra space, and then a bunch of people came. Um, but for us, it's truly a business model, right? Like, we want to encourage business growth, which means, you know, we need to be able to sustain it and grow it which also means that we need to have people staffed here to help encourage that kind of collaboration between people and maintain a level of excellence in our space. Um, so what we've seen is that by requiring people to pay a certain amount, they have to be a certain level in their business, meaning they have to know how they're making money. You can't just come in here and use it like a library. We have the library for that. Um, there are um, co-working spaces that do allow that, right? Yeah. But you're a little different. You're an you have to be a little bit more established, I guess. Exactly. Usually it's, you know, we do have some new people, like some really young startups in here, um, but you have to know your business model. You have to be able to afford the basic membership fee, which is, you know, for a monthly membership, it's $79 a month. For a permanent space membership, it's three $379 a month, right? So you have to be able to afford those numbers to be able to stay here. And sometimes, like, when you're just starting out, that's really high, which also means that, you know, you have to get your shit together and then figure out how you're going to make money 
start making some money, and we're here to help you scale. But at right? certain level, a, a business at certain levels, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. And go, I mean, going back to how it's really interesting, uh, success has so much to do with timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, I mean, I mean, the, the recession happened. That's bad, but y- y- cahoots came along at a time. It sounds like when people. If they were going to survive in their business, they had to do something. They had to cut down on the stuff. And it sounds like Cahoots offers an, a, a good option for those type of folks, right? Exactly. Yeah. We were incredibly lucky because we, in in the middle of that recession, so many people did lose their jobs. And their only option was entrepreneurship. I mean, I think... Or go back to college or something like that, go right? Go back to college, go back to school, or, you know, become a waiter for a while. Um, and... 90% of the people that came through our doors at that time had just started their business, but it was an industry that they knew, right? For me, it was design. For Eric Lennox, who's sitting right outside our door, it was architecture, right? Um, and and all of them knew their industry really well, knew how they could do it, but it was probably their first time trying to start a business. Hmm. They've always worked for someone else. Um, so it's exciting to think back at all of that and you're right it is really that time that timing and we were very lucky to start then and have that kind of head start speaking of looking back you came from minnesota uh how long ago when did you come from minnesota uh i left minnesota in 2004 okay but i didn't come here until 2000 and end of 2006 i was in california before that you told me um that you didn't really like arizona when you first (laughs) got here right so it sounds like you've you know, change your tune a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm curious why you didn't like it and then kind of what changed your mind. Yeah, when I first came here, I looked around and I, you know, I'm originally from Minnesota, which is very green and lush and totally humid different. and the environment is totally different. I was born and raised in it's Minnesota. Liberal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when I came out here, I, I looked around, I'm like, oh my goodness. And I came in the middle of the summer um, and I looked around, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything is brown. Everything is dead. Like, there's nothing here. And then around that same time, it was when the conversation about Phoenix was that it was a ghost town. Um, No one should, there's no jobs in Phoenix and that there's no talent in Phoenix was what I was hearing all around. And it just, like, I kind of listened to it for a while because I was, was working for a corporate structure where I just drove into work and then drove out and then watched TV with my boyfriend, fiance, now husband, right? But That's then not when too I st- unfamiliar to a lot of Phoenicians, probably. Yeah, but yeah. driving <laughs> in, driving out, getting your stuff done, and then right. every single day becomes that grind. Well, there was one day when I just realized, like, this wasn't working anymore, and I went out and explored. I went to Matt's Big Breakfast when they were in their original little spot, and I sat down, and, like, Ernie came over, and she talked a little bit about how she started it with her husband and what it was about, and it just blew my mind because my family... I come from a family of refugees and entrepreneurs as well. And having that like direct connection from someone who started something, I guess just having that conversation with Ernie revived my entrepreneurial spirit. And I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur, never in my life, because my parents started a restaurant, worked seven days a week um, from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I was like, I don't want that life, right? There's no way I'm totally fine with a cushy job. Well, that's not rewarding, right? And I finally realized why they do what they do is because they love it. Um, so when I talked to Ernie 
at Matt's Big Breakfast, it reminded me of like that energy that I remember growing up with um, of constantly like having new things thrown at you and constantly overcoming them. And that overcoming piece of it is what drives entrepreneurship. Like those little wins is what drives um, entrepreneurs to keep moving. Uh, and so that was when like kind of everything, f the, the switch flipped and I was like, okay, I also like being the underdog. So if everybody's saying that this city sucks, I don't believe it. So right? it's a state of mind almost really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't suck, right? right. <laughs> you don't suck. Right. Um, there's plenty of people I know here that don't suck. And the only reason I, the only reason I really liked and stayed in Phoenix was because of the people. And so when you start bashing the people, it kind of just yeah. sparks were flying and I was like, okay, that's not going to happen. And so I started, I started exploring more of Phoenix and realizing that Phoenix was this, this little egg that once you cracked open, you can't, you know, you can't undo it. It's finally this like beautiful thing. And then I started seeing, uh, I remember seeing this flower bloom out of one of the cactus is mm. in our yard. And it was like that, that happens here. This is a magical Dying. moment. Yeah. And, and that just kept me going. This idea that Phoenix is often um, not what most people expect. And we need to show that a little bit more. And so then I just started, I started learning more. Honestly, I just sat there and learned. I went to, uh, I went to a bunch of different businesses and learned about their stories and just fell in love with the city and the people that were in the city that were building things. And <laughs> the fact that it's not that hard to do here. That's what I was going to say. Phoenix is not New York. It's not LA. It's not Chicago. In terms, in all, in many aspects, but also especially in creative uh, fields, how do you think that has helped a little bit? Um, for me, it, it, it continually adds to this fact that I want to keep doing new things, right? And every, every time um, like a new idea pops in my head, a lot of times in the very beginning when I started my business, it was this this voice in my head that said, you can't do it. That's too hard. What about this? What about that? What about all these other things? And then you talk yourself out of it. Well, here, yeah, those those voices still pop up. But I've realized it's not that difficult to get through, right? Like if I wanted to open a restaurant, we are, we are an amazing state to do so. Um, and there's more than enough foodies here. Um, the things that I yeah like we've got a reputation now yeah the the technology and the the crazy ideas that I have because housing is affordable because living here is affordable of living, yeah. because of all of these like very basic things that Phoenix has I can take these monumental risks right I can go out and just try to build a, a technology startup doesn't say I'm going to doesn't mean that I'm going to be successful, but failing isn't going to be incredibly painful because I have these things covered and I have a community that supports it. And we're at a point in our community of entrepreneurs and startups that, you know, we're all pretty well connected. I always say it's that kind it's kind of a, a small world. Yeah, it's a it's a small, big city, yeah. <laughs> big, small city, Definitely. whichever way you want to say it. But, you know, we all know a lot of the same people and we're all cheering for each other. Um, I'm sure that's going to change someday when we get to this bigger and whatnot. But you don't city. have kind of like the cutthroat attitude quite as much as you do in bigger, bigger in mm -hmm. uh, city. You know. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, trying and trying, overcoming and falling on your face and getting back up. And <laughs> like, 
Um, you and mean learning. the story of all entrepreneurs. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> and but also learning. Um, so you've tried a different, uh, a lot of different things throughout your career. I mean, you've got Cahoots pretty well established now. What's what's kind of n- something next that you're you're interested in doing? Up on the horizon. Yeah. So uh, we launched our foundation two years ago. We just got 501c3 this year. The goal of our no foundation. Cahoots, Cahoots Foundation. Okay. It's a non our nonprofit arm of Cahoots. Got it. Uh, the goal of that is to really help a lot of underrepresented groups get into innovation and technology in the entrepreneurial world. Um, some major passions of mine are helping women. Uh, get into leadership positions in 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 corporate structures or, or in entrepreneurship. We haven't seen enough women in different sectors in in entrepreneurship yet or in technology. Um, so that's that's one of the specific areas that the foundation focuses on is bringing that, that balance. That comes from someplace deep. It's not women just don't have the same opportunities as men. Um, there's a cultural bias, mm-hmm. and we talked earlier, and you had mentioned um, it was uh, some sort of experiment that you did with kids, and what you learned something really kind of interesting about cultural cultural bias. Yeah, uh, we held Youth Startup Weekend a couple weekends ago. It's a 72-hour hackathon for kids. So they basically come in, and I am more like youth, right? So they're 13 to 18-year-olds, and they come in, and they essentially learn to to pitch an idea, come up with an idea, find a problem, pitch the idea, um, build a team, then work through the entire weekend to build a proof of concept, like a design, a pitch deck, um, potentially code out an initial platform. And it was it was incredibly interesting. We had 50 kids attend, and every one of them pitched. Well, I I would say 98% of them pitched. Um, and they just had five minutes to think of an idea and then pitch it. So they all pitched to their peers. It was 40% um, female, and none of the women, none of the ladies' ideas got picked for projects that continued on. So they all pitched. They formed teams around the ideas that um, they all mutually liked. Yeah. And then what was really interesting, though, is once they formed the teams and they broke out and started working on the different projects, you could see the women step up and take take ownership of the team and they would direct and, you know, solve a lot of the problems and, you know, tell the team this is what we need to be focused on. Um, so it was kind of in the smaller group that they took this leadership role, but in the larger picture or larger pitch session, they were more uncomfortable. And it, it definitely stems from this expectation that, you know, when you pitch, that's that's going to be, um, that's going to need to be incredibly confident. And that confidence then exudes leadership, right? And, and it makes sense. Women haven't been in business for very long. Um, you know, historically, we weren't allowed to take out a business loan in our name until recently, until the last, you know, 40 years. Um, we weren't allowed to vote. So what are you thinking about in your life? What are you thinking of trying to change that gender and cultural bias? I think that we really do need to see more women in leadership. I think a part of it is that there are women who have done this, right? There are women that have risen to the top have shown they can do it, but they're not really recognized. So they're not out there um, 
I think women generally take a different approach to it. They don't want to talk about it that much because it feels boastful, right? It feels feels like they're they're not being themselves, but for the benefit of the entire future generation of women, we need to see that, right? I'm looking out and I'm saying, where do I go next? I don't know. The only people I see that are doing great things are men, which sucks, right? Because I don't operate the same way. Not to say that we are built very differently, but there are things that I deal with that a man will never deal with, right? Giving birth to a child, the like first year of taking care of a child is required for me. Um, those kinds of things y we can't we can't deny are typically heavier burden on women. But the flip side is, you know, my daughter is now two years old and my husband does way more than I do in the family. Right. Um, and we're seeing a shift in the way that families operate. Men are demanding um, that they can work from home now. Right. Men are demanding paternal leave when their wife gives birth like they're demanding to be a part of their family this is all great things and that kind of shift also spills out into co-working so we're seeing more men who value being at home with their family and having that flexible work time which means that they want to be able to work from a space that's open for all hours and available for their family to come if they need to and allows them to work a schedule that makes sense for them which means that they typically want to be entrepreneurs, right? They want to set their own schedule so that they can spend time with their family and all of those things. But then what that means for women is that opens a door for a more supportive community, a society that believes that, yes, women can make it to the top. Typically, we don't think of that, right? We don't sit down and say, I'm going to hire that person because she's a woman. Um, and that would be probably wrong. But it should be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this person up to this position because they deserve to do so and or they deserve it and they are the best qualified or the most qualified person for this position and realize that yeah they're also a woman <laughs> do you see this paradigm shift happening in the workplace or needing to happen in the workplace first and foremost or i mean i'm sure there's a lot to play here and i'm sure there the workplace, is a lot workplace plays a lot into it but where do you see where, where's where's the spectrum here you know so I think we first have to understand that there's an issue. We have to understand that, yes, there aren't enough women in here in, in this like level of business or in business in general, right? We're 50% of the population. We're maybe 25% of these positions, right? Women in leadership positions are severely underrepresented. Um, so understanding that there is a huge disparity there is the first step. Because we don't want to say, hey, we're just going to bring in a bunch of women to fill the quota. We have to understand that this is... It has to be an organic thing or something. An issue, right? And, it, and we're talking about equity. We're not talking about everybody gets this position. We're saying, like, the best person deserves this position. But we need to be open to allowing that to happen, right? We need to be open to... That's why we do women's programs because women need to understand that there is an opportunity for you here, right? Like you can rise and be a strong entrepreneur even though you might not be good at pitching right now. But let us train you. Let us help you like get to where you need to get to. And women are so big on learning, uh, so big on like being constantly curious and challenging themselves because society tells them oftentimes they're not good enough. And so that's ingrained in a lot of women. I don't want to paint that broad brush, but we see it all the time in, in the women that come in here. Um, they're successful and they know their business model. They have their plan, but man, do they lack the confidence in it. 
it's a good thing and a bad thing in that they'll continue to try to grow and be better and constantly be more innovative in their industry. But it's also a little painful, right? To see that lack of confidence in women that are generally incredibly amazing and talented and but also do this. I, you give give them the opportunity I, I i think of my brother um runs an improv troupe and he teaches improv and he has the same type people um insecure or um and they're just not terribly confident they get in they take these improv classes and they blossom and i wonder give them the opportunity they will blossom in business too yeah you know? And they just need somebody to remind them that they can do it. Right. It sounds so silly yes. and pageantry, yes. but that little like that little bit of confidence, that little bit of support in the beginning is gonna take them so far. And that's what I needed in the beginning, right? Because it's scary. I've never done this before. I don't want it. I've seen it. I've been fortunate to see where it can go, but I've never done it before. Like, how do I incorporate? How do I do this contract? I've spent hours doing this. This is really hard. I could just go get a job. I'm a smart person. Like, there's an easy way out. How do I stop myself from taking that easy way out? Because I know it's going to be. Right? You know, yeah. once you do it the first time and the second time, it gets easier. Yes. You know? A hundred times yes. Yeah. Uh, We're on our fifth startup now. And wow. yeah. The, the process of incorporating used to take four hours because I would spend so much time researching. And now it's, yeah, now yeah. it's 10 minutes Snap. at the Arizona Corporations Commission. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, I, I'm going to ask this question, but I hate to ask it because it makes it sound like a freaking interview here. But but where do you see yourself five, ten years from now? Oh, or my gosh, that's my favorite question. <laughs> good, 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 good. <laughs> I'm so glad this worked out. So five, ten years from now, where do you see you and or Cahoots a decade or oh, whatever. Seriously, it's my favorite Good. question. I'm so happy. My team would be laughing right I'm now because I, I ask on everyone that question, that question <laughs> and I geek out about it. I see Cahoots thriving. I see us full every day. Um, I see us having a rooftop space that's open to the public where families and people of all generations are welcome. They can come and kind of see, like, the vision for this rooftop space is for them to come and see and learn about. Uh, issues that are happening in our community right now. Not Very just business issues, all kinds of issues? All kinds of issues. So relevant issues with the upcoming election. You know, young people aren't educated in the voting process or educated in how um, to pick who they're going to vote for, right? Like they don't know what how our government works and what it means to be a Democrat, what it means to be a Republican, what it means to be third party, and what it what it means to vote to a lot of people. Like, they take it for granted, right? And they might just be blindly picking something. Those kinds of things, those general issues um, that are relevant at this time need to be talked about. Things like the gender issue, um, the Black Lives Matter issues, right? Like, those kinds of topics, I think, need a place outside of social media. And this would be the space to do it. And we have an amazing, talented community of technologists that can make it incredibly interactive um, and w in partnership with all of the different kind of public spaces, public space gallery type businesses like the Phoenix Art Museum, the Children's Museum, the Science Center, all of those groups coming together to help build this uh, series of education. So that's what I see in five years as it relates to Cahoots. We would be hosting more educational programs and honestly f helping support communities that will be popping up. Um, we have an initiative to build a 
health tech community. Um, there's already one thriving out there. So our model is really don't build it and hope they come. Find the people, find the community, and then help help navigate it for people and that co and build that collective. So we have um, an initiative this next year to build a health tech community, and we've already reached out to a bunch of different groups um, to be partners in that. And then we're growing into like um, innovation in the government. So really focusing on these uh, industries that are slow moving. Health tech, just explain a couple sentences what that is. Health tech is, um, so the idea is um, the healthcare industry is really slow moving, right? Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of systems, old systems that are in place, and it really needs to be innovated. Just think about how everything works right now, right? You go to a doctor, and this is just one example. You go to a doctor, and they ask you for your insurance, and then you fill out like 15 different forms about your history, and you do this at every single doctor's office, right? And the question is, why isn't that tracked somewhere where everybody can reach it, right? Um, the HIPAA compliance is really difficult for a lot of people who are innovating that industry to get through. Um, doctors and hospitals know that there are issues in their process, but they don't know how to innovate them. They don't know how to build a system to make it better. So Hoots would bring those types of people together to figure out how to get over They would bring issues. hospitals together, insurance companies together, anything in healthcare on the one side and pair it with all of these people who are problem solvers to solve those issues. So we need to understand what the problems are and we need to understand that from the inside. And then you need incredibly talented people to build solutions for it, right? So those two match together is how innovation happens, right? So same thing goes for government, right? There's all of these problems with government. Hey, how come I don't know when the next light rail is coming? Why can't I have that ac information access for my phone right away? Well, there's actually something that was kind of built for that, um, but and built out of a startup weekend, which is really awesome, but it's not as accurate as we would like, right? Um, out of youth startup weekend, the kids out of youth startup weekend questioned why we can't easily find food trucks whenever we want, right? Like we have to go to their social media and then it's a pain in the ass for them to update it all the time. Is there a way that we could track it better? And so they developed a platform where all food trucks would be able to list their locations and information where they're going to be at every single minute or whatever. So you can just go on to their website and be like, oh, I'm in this area. There's 10 food trucks in this area. I'm just going to go to that, right? Um, those kinds of solutions is what we're looking to do more of. Um, do that in government. Things like, hey, I don't know if I can recycle this, right? Can I just pull up my app and and take a picture of what I'm going to throw in there and it'll tell me if I can recycle this or not? Or can I get a text message when my trash is going to be picked up, right? So I, Or a reminder to put out my trash or... You know, it's a holiday today, but oh crap, I put out my trash anyways and it's been sitting out there for two days. That sucks, right? Those kinds of things, it sounds like such a simple solution, um, but it's not out there yet. So um, we need we need the innovators to kind of, and, and it's great because these innovators then can create a whole business off of it. You can move that to different states and cities and implement it. Um, so it's building businesses, it's building our economy, and it's solving problems for our city. That's the government side. There's the health tech side. Um, we also see a need in nonprofits to join the innovation community. And education technology is another one. So the whole education system needs to be innovated. And not just like, not just inside of a school, 
but um, for example, Parchment, um, Parchment is an education technology company. They've developed a process to transfer transcripts digitally. So you remember we were all probably in school when they would send it manually, right? They would, you'd have to stamp it, almost get it um, notarized, <laughs> and then they would send it because it's, ooh, so special, right? And anybody could forge those things. So now Parchment has created a system where it can be done digitally. Sounds so simple, but it's an incredibly difficult process, right? And you have to have some great technologists to be able to develop a secure system for it. And then they continue to build and innovate the process for educators to do this really well. So all of those things are it's things, right? Like things that need focus and need attention. And our goal isn't to come in and be the technologist. Our goal is to, to bring facilitate. them together. Yep. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Facilitate that conversation. So that's Cahoots, Cahoots Foundation. And then, you know, things happen. We bought an Airstream last year. We're going <laughs> to renovate that, right? Um, <laughs> we I love working with young people because I believe that we can learn so much from each other. So doing more of that. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I don't see well, a completely clear picture in five right. years, but I see the picture for Cahoots and Cahoots yeah. Foundation. And somewhere in there, my family will probably have grown by one more in five years and then we'll be done. <laughs> um, but I think at the end of the day, I just want to be happy. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah. And travel, travel a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think we will have tons of stuff to talk about next time you're on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward five to years it. from now. Yeah. Maybe even sooner. But thank you so much for being on the show. It's awesome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll talk again. You're listening to New Chums, one of the bands that will be playing at the grand opening of Cahoot's new location at 221 East Indianola Avenue at 7 p.m. September 30th. And that's this Friday coming up. Ah, the cooler breezes are finally upon us, people. Yep, it's nearly October, and that means more time spent biking canals, more people on patios, and more Sheriff Joe Arpaio squawking about the birther movement against President Barack Obama. Yep, you heard it right. Hasn't this issue died? I don't understand politics anymore. And this even came more than a week after Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump said for the first time that Barack Obama was actually born in the United States. I think if I had one wish for the upcoming general election, I would wish for people to realize that local politics is more important than national politics. The president is one man, and we are where we live. Learn about who's running for your council and all the other local offices. Those are the ones who affect you more directly. And until then, enjoy the beautiful weather. And that's it, my friends. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at podcast at onthegridphx.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers 
intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we feature local bands on each episode of the podcast. Earlier you heard Old Chums, and you are now listening to Jane in the Jungle, who will also be performing at the Cahoots party. And they'll be celebrating their CD release party Friday, October 21st at Shady Park in Tempe. Once again, thank you guys so very much for joining us on our eighth episode of On the Grid. Blindfold me ran, take me away. Stepped inside, showed me the darker days. Not knowing what or when to start. Lost in perfection. down with